Welcome to Canada's Pinball Podcast. This is episode 201 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the 200th episode with our very special guest, Brenda. By the downloads and the amount of listens, I can tell you did. So maybe we'll have her on more often. Maybe, maybe. I have to cajole her to to join the show as much as possible. Um, Look, we're going to start off this podcast with a correction. And as you guys know, I've sort of built a career around enunciating and pronouncing pinball terminology all incorrectly. And apparently, I, I might be a little dyslexic because I called it the Batsui <laughs> multiball when it is in fact the Watusi. And I must have mixed up the U and the S's and came up with more of a Chinese sounding Batman dance versus a pop culture dance from the 1960s. So I apologize for all of my incorrect pronunciation of the Batusi multiball. It is not the Batsui multiball. Uh, that being said, it's an awesome multiball, and, and I hope they do a little bit more of the clips, though. For those of you who have got to that part in the game, uh, you don't really see Batman dancing that much. You, you mostly see Robin sort of in the Batmobile staring at the screen. And if you watch the original clip from the show, it's like this great three-minute scene where Batman orders an orange juice and gets drugged and then starts doing the dance. I, I wish a little bit more of that scene came through in the game itself. Now, I, I still think they're polishing off a lot of the clips and a lot of the sounds in that game. So I, I, I'm going on record for auto-correcting my own idiocracy, and it's the, the bat to see. All right. What do I want to talk about on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast? Look, there's not much news. So I want to talk about some of the things that are really percolating through the hobby. Um, and first and foremost, I want to talk about a subject that I don't have firsthand experience on yet, um, but I want to talk about American Pinball, I want to talk about Houdini, and I want to talk about some of the feedback that I've been reading about the game, and that is about how tight are the shots in Houdini. And I think it's a very interesting question, the whole notion of tight shots versus frustrating and fun when it comes to pinball. Now, there are the problem is this, there are so many different skill levels of pinball people out there that some people prefer games to have tight shots that are not easily makeable because to those people it makes the game challenging it makes them want to come back for more and it actually improves their pinball skills okay Uh, some people out there they just don't like shots that are really hard to make because they find it frustrating and they spend the entire game bricking the ball trying to progress through the game because the problem when a shot is really tight is chances are that that shot is required to complete a mode or to go through the game and progress through the machine and if you have a a consistently hard time hitting a shot it can become very very frustrating I want to read a a pin side post by Mr. Russell and he started a thread which is really like a very controversial thing to say. He said, either I can't shoot or Houdini is poorly designed. Now, this is a great example in my mind of why pin side moderation is bad. So this one person has one thing he wants to say about Houdini. And instead of this being, why isn't this inside the Houdini thread itself? 
Okay, the problem with allowing this to be its own thread is it almost creates more of a dramatic sort of controversial, oh my God, Houdini is not good because one guy doesn't like it. And that guy has the ability to create an entire thread and headline. It's like he's putting this at the top of the, the newspaper headline. This is the number one story on Pinside. It's at the top of Pinside when I went to it this morning that Houdini's poorly designed. And I think that's wrong. And I used to do this and I was wrong in doing it. You should not be allowed to make a personal opinion about one game be its own thread that then uh, becomes the talk of the entire machine because it's bumped to the top of the, of, of the thread list. So anyway, he writes, I choose to believe the latter. I had my first opportunity to play Houdini. The shot architecture is laughable. These shots are so tight, it completely destroys any potential fun of the game. It's beautiful, but that's about it. Who designed this game? All right, well, Russell, he actually got 21 down votes and seven up votes. Now, when someone says something like this, okay, who designed the game? Russell is, he's on pin side a lot, okay? He, he's not some newbie to pin side. You know why I know this? Because the guy has something like, 75,000 pin side trophies and like I don't know like he's, he's been on here for a long time so at least go do a little research and find out who designed Houdini it is Joe Balser for all of you out there who don't know and so this question of Houdini and are the shots too tight and what does that mean now look I also was following um, Steve Bowden on Facebook yesterday and he sort of said something similar that the shots are tight, but they're findable. And and so if you play it, like you start to learn how to hit the shots. Now here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think Houdini has very, very tight shots. Now I've played it a few times. I haven't played it recently. Now I heard they opened up some of the shots on the final production version of the game, but if you simply just look at the Houdini playfield, you can see that there's not a lot of opening in the shots themselves. And what does that mean? What does that mean? And, and, and is that going to detract from the fun factor of the game? Now, I think what it means is very simply, for all of you out there who are in the market for a Houdini, it probably means you should play the game first. And, and I'm saying this in all fairness to my friends at American Pinball and to everyone who worked on this game to get it out in such a short period of time. You know, this is advice for any pinball machine. If you're concerned about the shot geometry, if you're concerned about the layout of the game, then you should play it first. You shouldn't order it just based on pictures, just based on artwork, just based on other people's opinions of the game. Now, I've heard from people who are playing Houdini and absolutely loving it, but I have to say this. When I watch the straight down the middle, uh, sort of the review by, 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 by Greg over there, I did notice that it seemed like it was really hard to hit the shots. Now, for really good players, people who play a lot, the shots brick back and you can control the ball and you keep going at it. Uh, but for a lot of you guys out there that are not that good, this game could be really frustrating for you. So again, you're going to have to spend time on it. A shot I was talking to... Um, Jack Danger about yesterday because we, you know, it's it's fun to hash these things out. I, I don't think uh, it needs to be negative. I think if I were Russell, I would not have used the word laughable because I think that's insulting and I think that's derogatory and I don't think anything about Houdini is laughable. 
If you want to call something laughable, John Papadukes Houdini was laughable. There were shots that went nowhere. There was geometry that didn't even work. Everything that's in Joe Balser's Houdini functions, it works. It's not laughable. It might be difficult. And it's okay. It's okay that we have pinball machines out there that might have a high degree of difficulty. Like everything doesn't have to be a walk in the park. But, but right, the fine line is you don't want to end up like Ghostbusters. You don't want a game that when people get it, it's more frustrating than fun. And regardless of how good the theme is, I know people who are the biggest Ghostbusters fans on the planet, and they won't go anywhere near a Ghostbusters machine because of how bad the machine shoots. Um, I'm not saying Houdini is there at all. Um, but I think, you know, I think the shots are tight. Now, the shot I was talking about, and again, because I don't have tons of games, the right orbit in Batman continues to be the most difficult shot for me to hit. For some reason, it's really difficult to time it off the left flipper, but the right orbit shot is absolutely necessary to start multi-ball in Batman. And so what I have to do is I have to lean a little to the left, sort of as the ball's coming down the left flipper, I have to look and, and so almost like see the shot versus timing the shot. And it's difficult. Now, I could look at that as being, well, why is it so hard to do this? But I also think it probably was kind of necessary to make the shot that locks the balls for multi-ball a little bit more difficult because you don't want to be starting multi-balls all the time because it's really, really easy to light lock in that game. All you have to do is start a villain mode and then shoot either the bat computer or the bat analyzer, which is basically a straight up the middle shot near that, that center rot rotisserie thing or turntable. Really easy to light lock, really difficult to shoot a lock shot. And that's fine. That's like a nice trade-off. It's a nice balance. Um, I hear the shot in Houdini that people are having a really hard time hitting is the scoop shot. Uh, but look, play the game, all right? There's a lot of people saying it might be too tough. There's a lot of people saying the shots are findable. The jury is out. The jury is out. We will see. I hope more people get their Houdinis soon. So staying on American Pinball, something that, I, you know, I, I, I emailed Josh. I emailed Josh and I, and I asked him a question because I read this on This Week in Pinball and I wanted to get clarity and, and I really, for the life of me, I, I, I'm so confused by this. So the rumor is that their second title might be Oktoberfest. Okay, that the beer festival that goes on, what in Germany, Oktoberfest, uh, that they have they have filed for a license for that game, and I emailed Josh in full transparency and said, "Hey man, just saw this. Like, are are you serious? Like, I really think you should come out and say no, absolutely not. Are we making that game?" Um, we're gonna, you know, we're exploring a whole bunch of titles, and he kind of gave this vague answer where that it was like. We, you know, we heard that people were kicking this around, so we decided to secure the license, but we also have other titles that we're pursuing as well. And when I asked him, I said straight up, like, dude, like, don't make Oktoberfest. He was kind of like, well, why not? Like, don't you think people will like it and enjoy it? And Josh, instead of going back and forth on email, I'm here to tell you in, in, in front of my entire listener base, do not make Oktoberfest. What, what is wrong with pinball companies and themes and licenses. Why can't people understand how to make a product that will sell? Do you, do you think Oktoberfest is a game that is going to make people say, take my money now? It, I don't understand it. 
I don't understand it. Like what market research has anyone done to think that Oktoberfest is the kind of theme that guys who spend seven to $8,000 on a pinball machine want to permanently have inside their home? I get it. People like to drink beer, but that doesn't mean I want like a, 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 a Coors Light pinball machine. It's just this, it's, it's so head scratching to me how these themes and these licenses are even considered. And, and look, it sounds like they're seriously considering it. So what I want you to do, listener of the show, if you know anyone in American pinball, please reach out to them. Do not do it. Do not even consider Oktoberfest. Um, I would happily help you guys find a new license. I would happily apply my marketing skills to American Pinball and help you guys identify a theme that is affordable to make but would also sell like hotcakes. I don't think these guys understand marketing very well. I just, I think, it, and it's like an epidemic throughout Pinball that people just make what they think their gut tells them will sell. You know, and so if you know anyone at American Pinball, send them an email. Do not make Oktoberfest. And your follow-up game to Houdini, title number two, and I told this to Josh, title number two is so important for them to come up with a theme that is also exciting, enticing, because you have to look at your company like you're building a family of titles, that the games will go next to each other. Houdini to the left. My next American pinball title will be Oktoberfest. Wah, wah. You know what I'm saying? That title, that theme is as bad as Andrew Highway trying to make Animal House. And then it's as bad as Full Throttle. It's as bad as WWE. It's as bad as Mustang. Why pick a game like that? There are so many original, not even original, there are so many stories and IPs out there that are open IPs that you can use without needing permission that are far better than Oktoberfest. I, I, I really, I can't for the life of me understand what motivates you know, these people to, to say these things about the games they're considering. Um, I was also seeing that Let's see, Charlie Emery got interviewed and was talking about their next titles. And I think they were considering uh, something like Halloween or Saw or Friday the 13th as their next pins. Now, look, Spooky is another company where they're like in this really weird situation because of how they're branded. You know, Spooky Pinball, like Charlie loves like horror movies. It's like the, the theme that has defined his company. You know, first title was America's Most Haunted, Rob Zombie. All the games fit into this sort of genre. And I've said it from the very get-go. It's like naming your company Spooky Pinball, uh, it, 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 it's limiting. Because do you only make games that are in that category? Now, we know they haven't. They've made Jetsons. They've made Dominoes. They've made Total Nuclear Annihilation. Uh, but it's also a little bit weird from a branding standpoint. Because... You have a game like Total Nuclear Annihilation or Dominoes and Jetsons, and then the logo on it is a ghost. And it seems like, well, maybe that should be the name of the company that only makes the spooky-themed game. Now, here's some marketing advice for Charlie Emery. Take it or leave it, Charlie. I think the games that are your sort of horror-inspired games or your spooky games or, you know, the, like Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, good example of that. Those are the titles that should carry the spooky moniker, okay? You should, those should come out from Spooky Pinball because Spooky Pinball is dedicated to bringing some of the most chilling and horrific and amazingly fun, like, horror themes to life through pinball. If you want to make other titles, why don't you simply just make a different brand or you know, within your company. You know, there's Honda and then there's Acura. There is uh, Infinity and Nissan. Like you could simply make another sort of 
version or, 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 or handle to release other games underneath, which would be, I think, completely acceptable. Because then you could really play up the spooky theme even more in some of those themes. Now, do I think that ha Halloween, Saw, or Friday the 13th would be good games to make for pinball? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think the one title that Charlie keeps throwing out that I think would be the best would be Godzilla. I think that's the game he's dying to make. I know that that license is probably not cheap because it's still a very popular theme out there in the world. Um, but I really, you know, I, 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 I always say this. It's like, I think Charlie's dilemma is I think they want to make games for them. They don't necessarily make games where there is a buyer in mind him and and bug and the family like they love these themes so much that it's like they're making pinball for them i'm not necessarily sure they're making pinball for everyone out there so i'm not sure like that they're doing any market research to know if there's a demand for these things and we're going to see we're going to see how well alice cooper does because this is going to be the turning point for spooky like w you know alice cooper is definitely not a theme that everyone's like i really want an alice cooper pinball machine uh, i do applaud the fact that they're not just making another music pin that this is going to be more of a, a nightmare castle kind of monster bash kind of elvira kind of scared stiff kind of game where alice cooper is like the castle you know gatekeeper or the you know the the the, the landlord who's going to like guide us through this like nightmare castle. So it's much different. I actually like that approach better because I don't think there's that much of a demand for purely Alice Cooper music pin. Uh, but again, licensing in this industry continues to be the one thing that I just can't understand why people can keep getting it wrong. They keep getting it wrong, all right? So speaking of licensing, I've been getting a bunch of emails from people about my P3 coverage. And I was going back and forth with, with a nice gentleman. Uh, his name is Hugh. Hugh, thank you for reading, or sorry, thank you for listening and thank you for writing to me about P3. And we were just going back and forth on, on Jerry and the P3 platform and how, you know, Jerry's done a lot for the pinball hobby by making P-Rock. And P-Rock is really, he, you know, he's like, Jerry is the father of homebrew pinball. And Jerry made the engine that allowed people to make pinball machines. Uh, it was used uh, before it was like ripped off in the Big Lebowski. Uh, it's, it's, it's used in, in, I think it's used in Total Nuclear Annihilation, helped Scott build that. You know, so look, I give Jerry all the credit in the world for making P-Rock. I think it, it's amazing what he did. He sort of made the unreal engine for pinball machines. Okay, for those of you unfamiliar with video games, Unreal was a game. But the Unreal Engine was sort of like the operating system or the engine that allowed the designers to build the game. And what Epic Games did was they would sell and license out the Unreal Engine to other game developers because they had built the entire architect on how to make a game and they would license that out. So every single game that used the Unreal Engine, they would make money. Now I know this. I know this uh, because I used to work with Cliffy B, um, and and Mark over there, Mark Rains over there, and and these guys made millions of dollars licensing out the Unreal Engine. I remember once sitting in the W Hotel, and and the head of Epic Games just holds up a glass of Dom P and is like, "We we make like two hundred thousand dollars a day on our license alone." And I'm just like, "Okay, um, can I have another glass?" <laughs> um, but it's 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 incredible, right? And so. I went back and forth with this gentleman on email because, look, I'm not denying that Jerry has worked really hard. I'm not 
denying that you know jerry put a lot of like blood and sweat and tears into like this new platform and into his engine but the bottom line is this and this is just a question for everyone that we all have to deal with in our own lives is what good is all this you know the sweat equity and what good is the hustle and the hard work and the labor if the outcome of all of that hard work doesn't equal profit okay it's business it like look intentions are one thing and unless you make profit unless you actually apply all that hard work to something that people want the simple question is what good is it so you made this engine that all these homebrew guys can use are you making money is it generating revenue for you you know the real where the money would be made is if stern or jersey jack or, or, you know, another major manufacturer like Highway would use your system and license to use it, but they're not. So there's probably not much money coming in after all that hard work. And then you spend all this time making a platform that, you know, it's hard to sell to people. So I, I, it's, I, I respect Jerry as a person. I respect, you know, people who try to make innovation happen. I respect people who actually do create innovation. But ultimately you have to apply the most respect and the most admiration to the people who don't just like try to do stuff that's new, but the people who do stuff that actually breaks through. And I just think that this hobby has shown us what they want. I mean, it's, it's, if you were to like, if you were to say, Chris, forget the podcast for a minute, everyone forget pinball as you know it. Just pull people into a room and say to them, what's the most important part of a pinball machine that would make you excited to play it? Go. You know, you would probably get a combination of the theme or the license and the layout, right? So are the shots fun to hit and is the theme one I want to play? Nowhere in there would, would come up like, modular systems would come up with like the ability to swap out games the the limited room i have you know see they started they started at like number eight nine and ten of like a consumer's wish list for pinball and by starting all the way down there in terms of like the things people look for you then have to work twice as hard to get back up that desire list by consumers you see the number one is probably theme as theme is number one reason why people buy pinball machines. And so you come out with a theme people don't want. And this is not just America. This is not just P3. This is like Andrew Highway's decision to make full throttle to make Animal House was his first consideration. Um, you know, look, Dutch pinball, they got it right. People would buy the Big Lebowski. People love that theme. It is the perfect theme for pinball fanatics. They would sell every one of the Big Lebowskis. If they decided to make 500 or 1,000, they would sell every single one, Okay. Look, and we know theme is so important. So they, theme, and then you go to like design and layout and shots. Then you go to code probably as, as a third. Who is anyone out there even discussing the code in like Multimorphic or the code in Jetsons or the code in Rob Zombie or the code? No, no. Because if you don't hook people on one and two, they don't even care anymore. Like you've lost them. You have to get them at the top of their wish list. Okay. And, and again, this is just basic marketing. It's basic marketing that continues to uh, elude all these people who spend years doing this stuff. And, and look, if I was going to spend, I'm going to tell you this right now, if I were to spend six years making a pinball company, all right, I guarantee you 
like when my product came to market, it would sell out immediately without a doubt, or I wouldn't do it, or I wouldn't start the company. You know what pinball manufacturing reminds me of? Have you ever seen the, the, um, the gnome meme from South Park where it's like phase one, it's like collect underpants, phase two, question mark, phase three, profit. That's pinball companies for the most part. Phase one, announce your pinball company. Phase two, question mark, phase three, profit. I mean, that's like Deep Roots business model right now. Phase one, announce we have a pinball, a pinball company with all these, you know, designers from yesteryears. Phase two, nobody really knows what the fuck they're talking about with like quad manufacturing or any of this stuff. Phase three, we're going to make money. We're going to sell Ferraris for the price of, of Kias. You see, it's all the same. Andrew Highway did the same exact thing. Dutch Pinball did the same exact thing. You know, they don't know phase two. And phase two is what makes Stern Pinball so successful, which is figure out how to actually make the game um, at, a, at a cheap enough cost and employ enough people to actually get the assembly line going so that you can actually make a profit, all right? So look, look. I, I get it. You guys want to like email me saying like I'm wrong about this, that certain individuals deserve re more respect from the show and whatnot. And I'm here to call it like it is. I, 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 I am. I mean, I, what am I getting wrong here? What am I getting wrong here? Um, I, 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 just, I, I just wish that people would understand how simple it is to make a pinball machine license that people actually want, okay? All right, what else is going on in the world? We saw the first images of Lucy Vault Edition from Stern, which looks almost exactly like the old Vault Edition from Stern. And it looks great. It looks fine. I mean, it's, it's got even nicer artwork around the display. It's got sort of like the red and black sort of lightning bolts in a circular fashion. It's got the, um, the lower playfield window that can now be removed if you need to clean it, which is great. Um, and if I owned in ACDC Lucy before i think you now own the one that's going to be less desirable that's just the case i don't think people care that the drummers no longer on it uh, i also think who cares if you like acdc and you like the lucy art which has always been a little bit controversial that art package um enjoy your game enjoy your game i'm glad that you know stern sort of remade it because i think it's going to force more and more people to stop thinking about these things as collectibles and start getting people to focus uh, on buying the games that they really like all right what else is going on i'm going down the the pin side so star there's a star trek limited edition for sale for eight thousand dollars that's not going to sell i'm sorry the old these games they're starting to seem really old aren't they uh, I saw someone wants to trade their alien pinball machine for a big Lebowski. Talk about, like, that guy is really stuck in the, like, <laughs> just think about that trade for a minute. I want to trade my alien pinball machine, a company that is questionably going to survive and you might never have long-term support, for a big Lebowski pinball machine, a machine that probably almost will never get additional support because the version of that game will never be remade. And it's it's been really quiet. Let's talk about Dutch pinball. Like, it is crickets. Crickets. We haven't heard anything. And here we are, February of 2018, and I haven't heard a damn thing. Now, are they waiting for TPF to surprise us with some good news that games are starting to be manufactured? I hope so, because I think if they go past TPF without any positive news or momentum, 
I, I think people will just finally give up on this whole thing. I, I, I can't understand w like why it's taking so long to get these games out the door. Um, I'm trying to think what else is going on. Let's let's click on Pinside for sale thread and see what comes up and how much people think their their pins are worth. So let's see. Oh, look at this: a Wizard of Oz, a one of one for nine thousand four hundred and fifty dollars. How is this possible? But it says, look, one of one history of Waz development available. This beautiful game was made specially for Alex Levy for his efforts in creating Waz. There is a picture of an email attached from Jersey Jack attesting to this being the sole game of its type. Of course, the back is signed by Jersey Jack. Emerald City finished. I was fortunate to have been able to acquire this pin. I then put in a brand new JJ display and added some great mods, including cliffy protectors throughout and worked with Cliff on developing the protectors for the castle playfield edges. I'm trying to think like what's special about this machine. You will have a true one-of-a-kind Waz machine. Let's see. I'm going to open it up, and I'm looking at it, and, oh, no, 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 okay, where, but where, where, what, what is different about this machine? I, I, I'm looking at it right now, and, oh, look, there, oh, wow, there's like a, a witch that's on there that looks like she's holding an hourglass, which is cool, um, but I'm just not, I'm not, he doesn't, like, explain what the differences are in the machine itself so that's interesting maybe let's see if i can go into the thread and find some stuff based and okay <laughs> i like this i think you need to take money off since it's related to alex levy and a few more hundred off since jack scribbled on it <laughs> um yeah like i don't i don't know I don't know what you guys think, but like I can't even see the differences. If you if you know the differences in this machine, um, please email me at canadianpinball@gmail.com. But um, there you go. If see that's another thing. If you're gonna sell this one of one machine made for someone that's supposed to be special and you're asking a huge premium for it, like how how bad are you at selling your game that you're not listing the differences in this game? I mean, I I, I don't get it. There's a dialed-in LE for sale for $8,500, okay? So here's the problem with these people. These, I mean, honestly, I'm so sick of people who buy a machine and then they try to sell it for exactly what they paid and it's used. Like, like can people stop? Like $8,500, I guess the or best offer. Um, ridiculous. I mean, you can get a brand new dialed-in LE for $8,500 in a box. Uh, probably a little bit cheaper now because they probably have more inventory sitting around. Um, Circus Voltaire. Let's see what this guy wanted for. 6600 for Circus Voltaire. All old J-pop games, you know, they're, they're beautiful to look at. They get a little boring over time, but that's unless you absolutely love it. This one was crazy. So Guardians of the Galaxy LE, this guy ASOA was selling it um, like 20 days ago. He says, Guardians of the Galaxy Limited Edition, seven days old from my private home game room. 32 plays on the game, home use only, original owner, mint condition, priced with the following options, 7,500 firm. Okay, let's think about that for a minute. This game was 9,000 new, which I think the street price might have been like 8,200. This guy buys the machine, puts 32 plays on it, and wants to sell it. See, this is pinball this is the problem with 
all of pinball when it comes to collectors and people. Like, what, what's wrong with this guy? Why would you buy a pinball machine, play it 32 times, and then sell it? You could go play it 32 times in a bar and realize you don't want it. And now he's just losing money. It's because it's this kind of mentality. These people are addicted to opening up boxes and just getting what's new, seeing if they want it, then, then shipping it out. It, I don't know about you guys, but it is such a fucking hassle to have to ship a pin, to have to prep it, to have to get it picked up, to have to move it out, to have to like do all the, and then lose money on top of it. Like you just, you're just fine pissing away hundreds of dollars. I, I think it's idiotic. I think it's idiotic. Look, I hope... In 2018, 2019, we get to a point where people play pins more before they sell them, where people have themes that they don't want to let go. It feels better to have a theme that you're like, I don't want to let this go. It's more fun, right? Having a game that you're like, this game is bolted to the floor. I enjoy it every day versus a pinball machine where you're constantly scratching your head and being like, oh, should, I, should I get rid of it? Should I trade up? Should I get something new? It's like in life. When you meet someone that's amazing, that you love, that you want to st- spend the rest of your life with, that's so much more rewarding than dating someone who you're always wondering, like, is now the day I should, like, break up with her, okay? That's, that's the way I feel about pinball machines. Um, well, look, look, again, I hope people get the themes right. This is going to be a little shorter episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I got to run to work. I'll tell you why. I'm in the middle of another one of my team's amazing executions. I'm going to tell you what it was. At the beginning of the year, we made a bet that if the Philadelphia Eagles would win the Super Bowl, I think Lane Johnson was the athlete who announced that he would buy everyone in Philadelphia free beer. And we responded to him and said, if it happens, we'll buy everybody a free Bud Light. It happened. When we made that promise, the, the Eagles were a 50 to 1 shot at winning the Super Bowl. And it was amazing when they actually did it on Sunday night. What an amazing game, right? I, I feel bad for all the Europeans who watched that game thinking that's what football is always like. Um, so he, they, they, they're successful. They're victorious. Now we owe everyone in Philadelphia a free Bud Light, and we're figuring out how to do it. It's not easy. It's not like you're giving people away a free pack of gum. There are laws regarding alcohol distribution. But this is what I do for a living. If you Google news search uh, Bud Light and Philadelphia, That's what my team at work does every day. And we love creating newsworthy moments that spread, that get talked about, that put our clients, you know, into the spotlight. And that's, that's what I do for a living. If you ever wonder what I do for a living, I don't operate pinball machines. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not some crazy psycho fan or hermit. Like some people say, I'm not a a joke at work. My, My team creates, I think some of the most kick ass earned media and PR campaigns out there. Um, and it's fun. It's fun. I get to go in every day and look for the next opportunity for a brand to jump on top of. And believe me, I've tried to get more brands involved in pinball, but it's so small. It's hard for me to justify a brand activating around pinball. I really, I tried to get Verizon to do stuff with dialed in and oh God, they Verizon. Oh, they, sometimes my clients frustrate me because they, it's, it's, it's the first pinball machine that you can play with your cell phone. I think any telecommunications company, any cell phone manufacturer should have been all over that uh, in terms of like creating a pinball tournament where you have to play on your phone. Just the media would be all over that. It's the first time ever you can play pinball using a cell phone. I mean, that's not a hard story to pitch. Anyway, um, this has been episode 201 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm glad you guys listen. You must have some feedback for me that you want me to read on air. Here I am like... 
I mean, I've been throwing some smack talk down. If I've said anything that you disagree with, if I've said anything that you think I should clarify, if you want to, you know, come on the show, I've, I've, I know I've got some of you guys who are coming on soon. But hit me up at CanadaPinball at gmail.com. If not, let's all get drunk this weekend and, and sing um, and dance to the bat to see. I even have to like stop myself. The bat to see. Have a good day, everyone.